Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. Plant family, I want to thank you for joining us for week two of Gear Up. Last week, we had begun our sermon series as we are beginning to study Ephesians chapter 6, understanding the armor of God. Why are we talking about this? Because now more than ever, we as Christians need to understand how do we live the victorious Christian life as individuals and as the church. And Paul had laid it out so clearly and in such a basic format, what spiritual warfare is and how do we put on the weapons that God has given us that we would learn to live the victorious Christian life. There's a quote that I said last week that people really attached to, and that was, spiritual warfare may be invisible, but it's not fictional. And I got to confess, that was not my quote. Someone else had written that, and it was such a beautiful quote to, to really help people grasp that spiritual warfare is a reality. I had challenged you last week to, to look at everything that's going on in your life and in the culture and to say, are you beginning to recognize that spiritual warfare is a reality? And so what we're going to do today is we're going to jump into Ephesians chapter 6. And we are going to look at the first piece of armory. And then every other week leading after this, we are going to look at another piece. But here's what I, want to, I really want you to grasp today. Each piece of armory, as we will study them from week to week, will attach itself to the next there was an order of how a Roman soldier had put on his armory. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, and let's read together. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of God's people. Before we jump into the sermon, let's pray together. Father God, I ask you that as we open your word and as we look at the first piece of armory that Paul gives to the church of Ephesus, that we would understand that that same piece of armory is given to us as well. God, I pray you would open our hearts and our minds to understand what is this piece of armory and how we're supposed to use it? 
And so I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. One of the things we have to understand about armory is this. It was for both protection and advancement. And so whenever a soldier put on a piece of armory, it was to protect them from that which was coming against them, whether it be a sword or whether it be a spear, whether it be an arrow or whether it be a fist, that that armory was to, armory was to protect them. But the armory was also given that it would advance them. That as they were being hit and, and, and shot out with arrows or, or stabbed out by, by, by a dagger or, or hit out by a sword, that, that they were able to keep on moving forward. And so Paul was deliberate in how he placed each piece of armory. Now the first piece is very unique because we wouldn't be thinking about the first piece that, that Paul would talk about would be the first piece of our wardrobe that we would put on. And so this is what Paul says. He says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Now, I'll be honest with you. Today I woke up, got ready for filming, put on my jeans, found my shirt. Matter of fact, it's a brand new shirt. And then the last thing that I got out of my closet was my belt. Truth is, I usually wear belts more about fashion than function. And if there's anyone out there that uses their belt more for fashion than function, then give me an amen. Because I think that's a reality for many of us, is that our belts play part of our wardrobe. But when it comes to the military terms of what Paul was talking about with the Roman army and Roman soldiers, the belt had a primary function. The only way that it was created with any kind of fashion would have been for its coloring to be able to allow other soldiers to know that they were either on the opposite side or they were on the same side with each other. And so here you have this idea of the belt. Now when we think about a belt, we think about a strap, a leather strap one or two inches thick. And we would I think about this a whole idea of a belt as something that could, could hold a, a sword or a dagger. And, and that was primary one of the responsibilities, but it was not solely the responsibility. Matter of fact, the real primary responsibility and role of the belt was for protection of the core. And so when you would think about the... the blah, 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 blah. I got to start over. What's that? Yeah. How was that beginning? It was good? Okay. All right. I'm starting to sweat. We may just stick with the first one. Okay. Let me try one more time. Plan family, I want to thank you for joining us for week two of our sermon series called Gear Up. We are studying the armor of God that's found in Ephesians chapter 6. And so what we had talked about last week in the first week was understanding spiritual warfare. And what I had called it was know your enemy. We had talked about oftentimes that, that the conflicts that we are in, that the real culprit is not those who are standing in front of us, but rather the culprit is of a spiritual sense, an evil one that Paul talked about in the beginning of Ephesians chapter 6. And what I had said, I had said a quote that many people had grasped onto. I said, spiritual warfare may be invisible, but it's not fictional. And I got to be honest with you, I cannot take credit for that quote. Another author had written it, and it's fabulous because it simplifies, yet profoundly talks about the importance of understanding that spiritual warfare is 
true, and real, but it's just something we cannot see. And so my challenge to you last week was begin to look at the world through the lens with spiritual eyes. Eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts that are open to that which is going on around us. I use the example of Scooby-Doo, how, how at the end of every Scooby-Doo episode, that whenever they, they found the culprit to that which was causing problems for, for the town, that they, they would rip off the mask, and, and the person they thought it was never was the real culprit. And that's how the enemy works. He covers things up. He distracts us by using persons, circumstances, and even events. And so what we're going to do today is we are going to now dive into the armor that Paul had talked about and had written about to be able to be given to us that we would live the victorious life that's found in Christ. And so turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6 as I read. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 we begin at says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Would you pray with me as we begin? Father God, I ask you for wisdom as we dissect this passage. God, I pray that our hearts and our minds would be open to what you want to speak to us about the, the armory that you had given to us, that Paul so meticulously highlights. Give us eyes to see and hear, ears to hear in Christ's name. Amen. Now here's the first thing that we need to understand is that whenever a soldier was given armory, it was for two reasons, protection and advancement. Every piece of armor that a soldier was given was to protect them from their enemy, whether it be the enemy's sword, dagger, spear, or arrow, but it also was for advancement. It would holster weaponry that a soldier would use. Paul was deliberate, as we are going to see in Ephesians chapter 6, for how he had spelled out the armor of God. And what I find so interesting is that the first piece of armory that Paul had talked about for the church in Ephesus was oftentimes the last piece of our wardrobe that we put on. When I got up this morning, I, I grabbed my jeans, I grabbed my shirt, I grabbed my socks, I grabbed my shoes, and then lastly, I grabbed my belt. I will confess that oftentimes my belt is more about 
fashion than it is about function. But that was very different for a soldier. A belt was all about function. And so let's talk about understanding the belt. Paul had said this, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. When we think about a belt or even the belt that I'm wearing right now, it's, it's usually a one to two inch piece of leather that wraps around our waist that holds up our pants. Now, there's some truth to that, to a belt that a soldier would wear, but, but let me just walk through the purpose of a soldier's belt. First, yes, it was buckled around them and it would pull their tunic close to them. And so this was helpful and extremely important in two different reasons. One, when they were in close hand-to-hand -hand combat, they were able to tuck their tunic into the belt. And second, in certain terrains, they were able to tuck the tunic in so that their tunic would not get snagged on something or that they would trip over their tunic, whether it be a mountainous range or, or some other type of terrain. And so, yes, the belt was used for that, but the belt was also very, very different. It wasn't a one to two piece of leather. It was this massive girdle-like piece of armory. Now for me, I can understand this being a football player and playing college football is that, that every day going to practice and every game day, I had to put on a belt that was girdle-like and it, and it would go all the way down to my knees. And, and so for these soldiers, their belt was just above their belly button and went down to their knees. And what it looked like was there was tassels that had pieces of metal that was hanging from it. And so this would go all the way around their waist, protecting their whole midsection. And so when you think about the belt, it wasn't just this piece of leather, but it was this, this massive piece of armory that would hold together their waist, hold together their tunic, and protect part of their body. But it also did this. It held pieces of weaponry. Every soldier had a sword and a dagger. And so it would holster their pieces of weaponry, two pieces of their weaponry. But let's talk about the core, the importance of the core. And I really think it's more, it's more clear if we don't call this the belt of truth, but it's rather the girdle of truth. And so when we think about the core, we must think about why this was so important. You see, our core is one of the most vital areas of the human body. I mean, think about the pieces of our organs that are in this core area. Let me just walk through our, our major vital organs that are in our core. Our stomach, both intestines, liver, pancreas, spleen, kidneys, colon, and our reproduction organs. And so the soldier would have all this metal around their waist protecting these key organs. There's only three other vital organs, your heart, your lungs, and your brain. So the vast majority of our vital organs, this belt protected. And here's what it also did. The belt would give stability to a soldier's back. Now, now, for me, being an athlete, and I don't mean to keep saying that I'm an athlete, but that's what I did growing up. I played every sport all the time. 
I knew that my coaches always talked about the importance of the core. But there was one problem. We never focused on the core. Whenever we would go into the weight room or whenever we were doing drills, there were certain things we'd do. We would do wind sprints. We would do air squats. We would go into the weight room. We would do squats. We'd do shoulders. We'd do bench press. We'd do backs. We'd do deadlifts. But even though the coaches would always emphasize the core, they never really equipped us with our core. Because our core is what stabilizes our body. I mean, think about when we stand up from a chair. Think about when we walk down the road. Think about when we go for a run. Think about when we swing a bat or swing a golf, a golf club. Our core is what holds together our body and is really the most vital part of our being. And so Paul so distinctively says that this is the first piece of armor that we are to put on. Now, watch this. The next piece that we'll talk about next week, the breastplate of righteousness, the breastplate of a soldier, would connect into the belt. And so the belt gave protection, holstered weaponry, but then held the armor together. And so a soldier from, from his shoulders to his knees were fully covered because of the importance of the belt. But Paul calls the belt a very specific and deliberate word. He calls the belt, or the girdle, which is really a better translation, the belt of truth. What does Paul mean when he's using the word truth? Because isn't truth relative to the person that is using the word truth? Well, here's what Paul meant. Truth is God's standard opinion on any matter. Truth is God's standard opinion on any matter. And so all of a sudden you start saying, okay, so what does Rob mean by that? Well, what's God's truth on creation? Who created? What's God's truth on humanity? What's God's truth on marriage? What's God's truth on sexuality? What's God's truth on race relations? What's God's truth of our perspective of government? What's God's truth on, on how we deal with the least of these, those who are living in a place of oppression? You see, oftentimes what we do is we get so wrapped up in our world, and, and there's a lot that's going on. We have the virus. We have, we have racial conflict. We have political conflict. We have personal conflict. We have inner conflict. But one thing that I, I really learned this past week as I was praying for a friend of ours who is Armenian, and right now the Armenian group of people are going through something very horrific that they are all wrestling with as a group of people that, that I can get so caught up in my own little world that, that I can forget that there's other things that are going on globally. And so how does God deal with oppression globally? How does God deal with this whole idea of, of how we treat those who have less than we have. See, God said, love justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with him. 
And so how do we do that? You see, the biggest problem is right now, we and, and even most of the church world has bought into the lie of relativism. What is relativism? It is a doctrine. It is the doctrine that knowledge, truth, and morality exist in relation to culture, society, or historical context and are not absolute. I can't tell you how many Christians have even told me that there are no absolutes with God. And yet when we look at scripture and we look at history and we look at humanity, we see that, that there is a truth that God has for us, that God created. And he had created a people called the Israelites. And any time that the Israelites lived under the truth and authority of who they were in light of God, they always lived under God's provision, God's protection, and God's prosperity. And whenever they stepped away from that, they had missed out on the blessings because they were living under their truth, their relativism, seeing the world from their perspective rather than the perspective that God has for them. And we know, this, we know the narrative. The Israelites were wandering and the Israelites would, would live under and then not live under and then say, God said, I got a better way, the best way. And he sent Jesus. And Jesus embodied the truth of God. This is what Jesus said. You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Everything Jesus had said was God manifested. Every teaching that Jesus had spoke about mirrored what God had taught the Israelites. But now it was being manifested and fulfilled in Christ. Again, bring it back to our current context. How do we as Christians live in truth in the midst of a world gone wrong? What about the Beatitudes? Are we aligning ourselves with the teachings of Jesus? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who humble, and, who humble themselves and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are persecuted. And there's a truth that we need to put ourselves under. What is Jesus saying about caring for, for the least of these orphans and widows? What does Jesus talk about stepping into places of injustice? What does Jesus talk about looking at the local government and how we are to live? You see, what we do is we create our own standards and our own doctrines, even as followers of Christ. Because we don't put ourselves under the truth that's found in Jesus. So how do we do that? You see, this is what Jesus did. He gave us the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit embodies the truth of God that now lives in us. And so I love what Paul says in Romans chapter 12. He says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. This was a thought that I had this morning. And just let me read to you what I wrote. Our spiritual transformation is the work of God through the Holy Spirit as we take hold of God's truth. When we put ourselves under the authority of Christ and allow the Holy Spirit to embody us, we then get to no longer allow relativism being thrown back and forth 
tossed by all the thoughts and all the things that are going on, we get to stand our ground and allow the truth of God to be manifested in our lives. Right now, in everything that's going on in the world, we are being lied to in multiple directions. Social media, or the news, or conversations. Every one of these platforms has a bent to a certain area in which they have found their truth. So as we are having all of these thoughts and circumstances and events thrown at us, how do we then look at who Jesus is and who we are in light of Christ so that we allow our lives to not be bogged down, imprisoned by the world around us, to be, but rather to be set free to live out the hope that Christ has for us. I think this is where we really fall into the trap. We, we wrestle in two different worlds. We want to allow the Spirit of God to give us eternity, but we actually act more in our physical beings than being directed by our spiritual nature that's found in the Holy Spirit. And so what happens is, is that we make ourselves very susceptible to the lies and the schemes of the evil one. Deception is the enemy's tool. Deception is the enemy's tool. Jesus had called the devil, he had given him this name, the father of lies. Let me read to you what Jesus had said in John 8, to his disciples. He said, he was a murderer from the beginning. The beginning, what was the beginning? In the garden. He killed the spiritual nature of Adam and Eve by deceiving them. He has always hated the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Remember what I said last week when I said the names of the evil one, that there's multiple names? That the names represent his character and his intentions. And so Jesus said, he is the father of lies. He is a murderer. And we see this with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, God created to be spiritual beings to live in perfect harmony, perfect shalom with God. Now remember that word, shalom. In two weeks we'll be talking about that. But they decided to be godlike. They believed the lie, the deception, that they could be like God. They could think like God. They can act like God. They can behave like God. God did not create them to be godlike. God created them to sit under the authority of God, to experience the power of God, the presence of God, the provisions of God. But they chose opposite. They were deceived. Another form of deception in the, gar- in the wilderness. Jesus just gets baptized And the Father affirms Christ. Three times in in the gospel, the Father affirms his Son. This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. And so Jesus went into the wilderness, into the desert. And this was a training time. Yes, it was a time of temptation. And the enemy tempted him three different times. And three different times, Jesus responded to the temptations, the lies, the lures of the enemy with the truth of who he was 
and who God is. Jesus said this to the enemy. He had said, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from God. The enemy tempted him to eat when he wasn't supposed to eat. Come on, Jesus, just fill yourself. You'll think clearer, you'll act clearer, you'll be clearer. And then Jesus said to him, you must not test the Lord your God. The enemy tempted Jesus with power. Come on, show us how powerful you are. Jump, jump off here. Jump off here. The angels will catch you. Jesus knew that, that the only power that was granted to him was the power that the Father had given him. And anytime Jesus did a miracle, it was always told that I can only do what the Father commanded me to do. Then Jesus said a third thing to the enemy. You must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The lure, the lie, the deception, the temptation was, hey, call on all of Israel. Stand at the top of the temple and have everyone bow down and worship you. And Jesus said, no. I worship one God. My God. My Father. And the only reason that Jesus is worshipped today is because of his obedience. His obedience to death and then his obedience through the resurrection. And now, because, because of the resurrection, every knee will one day bow, every, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus stood on the truth of knowing who he was as the Son of God. The dilemma for Adam and Eve is they had forgotten where their identity was found. And that's what happens to us. We do not stand on the truth of who we are. We do not stand on the truth with the eyes to see what's going on in our culture. And we are lured to make immature, unhealthy, and even destructive decisions that affect not only ourselves, not only our family members, but those in our community. Sometimes those in our church. And even those in our country, and even those globally. It's like a golf ball. When you hit a golf ball and you hit it just one degree off, at first it doesn't seem like a big deal, but, but as that golf ball travels 50 yards or 100 yards or 150 yards, it goes way off into the woods. When we do not stand on the truth of who we are as children of God, we go off the mark and we miss God's best. Church, do you understand right now, in this time of history, we have an opportunity to embody, to be truth present in the circumstances that are going on around us. Whether that be with the racial tensions, whether that be with the confusion with the virus, whether that be with this, with this crazy whole political mess that's going on. And if you watch the debate, you see how much confusion there is. We have the opportunity to be truth present and not be swayed by all the cultural shifts that are going on around us. When we understand and function in our identity and created purpose, we are strengthened and less vulnerable to the lies and deception 
we are confronted with. And so how do we conclude this message? We have talked about the belt. We have talked about the core. We have talked about the importance of the core. We have talked about how we become vulnerable in our core area. But now, what do we do? How do we move forward? First, we buckle up. We put on the belt, the girdle of truth. A soldier knew that the belt would hold together his armory. Not only just hold together his waist and some of his weaponry, but it would hold the breastplate of righteousness intact. We make a conscious decision to understand who God is and who we are as children of God when we live in the truth of who Jesus tells us we are. Jesus said, let me repeat this again. You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Just as Jesus put on truth, so do we. We come against the lies of the enemy. We come against the lies of the culture. We come against the lies of our flesh when we speak into the lies with the truth of who we are as children of God that's found in Christ Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Next, we protect our core. We protect ourselves from the lies of the enemy. This is what Paul said. Paul, uh, Jesus had said this, I'm sorry. Jesus says, I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. We must remember that before Christ, before we knew Christ, we were vulnerable to unhealthy thoughts, unhealthy behaviors, unhealthy patterns, and unhealthy habits. But the moment we put on our identity as sons and daughters of God, we have stood in the light of who we are. And we no longer have to live in a place of vulnerability. And so we need to protect ourselves with the truth of God that's found in Christ Jesus. And, la and lastly, and just as importantly as the first two, advancement is our strategy. Yes, we put on, we buckle up the belt of truth that protects us from the lies and the schemes of the enemy. Yes, we put this on to make sure that we are not vulnerable to the attacks. But we also holster weapons that God gives us that we would advance forward. We are not supposed to live defensively in this world. We are supposed to step into this world in the offense, moving forward so that we can give other people the hope that comes in Christ Jesus. I love what the Apostle John said in Revelations 12, 11. He says, And they have defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. The moment I gave my life to Jesus, I put to death my old nature and I became alive in Christ. And now, my testimony, your testimony, my story, your story, your, my narrative, your narrative 
is speaking to the truth of who God is and the victory that we can have in him. And it's not just about us. It's not just about the plant. It's not just about our communities, whether it be Mawa or West Milford. It's about the world. Do you realize when the church lived in their identity, historically, transformation came to communities. Some of the most important shifts in all of history with issues like governmental regimes or with issues of racism or even with sicknesses and viruses, the church brought about godly, healthy, whole transformation. What would happen if we were that church that we lived in the truth and we weren't afraid of our truth. We weren't afraid of what people thought. We were more afraid of not living in the truth and sharing our truth than anything else. I have to. I have to. I'm more afraid to not live in my truth. I have to live in my truth or I'm going to miss out on the opportunity that God has for me. I can't be afraid of it. I need to step into it because I know that there's one individual or one group of persons or one group of leaders that need to hear truth in the midst of a broken world. There are absolutes. An absolute is this. God loves you. God created you. God created you more for this. God did not create us to live in this place of disharmony, but he's created the church that we would be the shalom, harmony of God here in our present world. And it begins by buckling up. And so today, I challenge you to buckle up. Put on God's truth. I want you to do an, an act of worship with me. Put your hands out. And we're going to go into a, a song of worship. As you put your hands out, and your, your heart is open to the works of the Holy Spirit. During the song of worship, I want you to envision God putting a new belt in your hand. Not a thin leather strap, but a, but a weighty girdle that you're going to strap on during worship. And you're going to make a stance today that no matter what lie, what deception, what thought process or doctrine that people are throwing at you that you are going to stand on the hope and the promises that is found in Jesus Christ. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. Envision that. And as we close in worship, have a new posture. Stand up, ready to step into what God has next. Let's worship together. For all of you who had just stood up and, and did that act of worship, that, that sign of worship, my prayer is that you had sensed, felt something supernatural happening in the moment. And my prayer for each one of you as a church, as the church, being the church, manifesting the church would live in the truth of who you are as sons and daughters of God. And as you live in this truth, remember this. We are praying with you and we're praying for you. Have a great day.
It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org. Thank you.